Oh man, I'm I'm just waiting for just like after we finish this, we will wake up tomorrow and within like three hours, there will be like four trades. I'm sure we'll talk about this, but I I would guess what's holding it up right now is like that Philly doesn't want to trade Seth Curry and Brooklyn is like we want Seth Curry. You think that's what keeps them from flipping Ben for Harden, Seth Curry? Like I know they like Seth Curry for good reason, but Seth Curry? I don't think they should, um, or I don't think that should hold them up. But I think one thing I saw today is that Brooklyn wants, or uh, yeah, Brooklyn wants more than just Ben. So I'm like, that's either Matisse, Maxi, or Seth. Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 70 of the Fly Route Podcast. I am your host, Anthony, a.k.a. Tony Playboy, a.k.a. Camara Cuts, a.k.a. The Blow Bowl, and we have an exciting show for you today. I am joined by my good friend, friend of the show, Sam. You got any a.k.a.s for yourself today? A.k.a. not the biggest Russell Westbrook fan, a.k.a. Joe Burrow, Super Bowl MVP. Spicy, spicy. I mean, if they win, there's no way Joe Burrow doesn't get Super Bowl MVP. Like, I don't care what anybody else on that team does besides, like, Trey Hendrickson going off for, like, five solo sacks. And even then, even then, like, they can still find a way to give it to Joe Burrow. Like, I'm excited because we got a lot to talk about today. We are going to start the show with a little tee-off action and get into the Alvin Kamara like nightclub fight we are going to get into the nfl super bowl picks and breakdown for the matchups and we are also going to talk to you about everything nba trade deadline related amongst some other things and let's get right into the show the fly route pod the fly route pod the fly route pod the fly route pod all right welcome to the tee off oh oh spread that tea sis this is how I like to start the show. I like to spill some tea on our favorite athletes and some of the craziest situations they get themselves into. And speaking of craziest situations someone can get themselves into, have you, I mean, look, you are a Saints fan, no? So you have to know a little bit about this Alvin Kamara mess. Yeah, it's not looking great. Um I think one of the worst things about it, just before we get into what happened and everything, I think one of the worst things about it is that if this had happened at just some, like, random event, like he was in Vegas um, for something, I think it's not as big of a deal. But he was there for Pro Bowl weekend, so I think that just kind of sets the tone for why this is going to end up being a bigger deal than maybe it would be otherwise. But, yeah, things are not looking great as of now. Yeah, I mean, look, the craziest part about this to me was that they, the, like, Las Vegas police knew about this whole situation, were looking for Alvin Kamara, showed up to the Pro Bowl, and they were like, well, he's, like, on the field warming up, uh, and they were like, oh, okay, we'll just wait. Like, (laughs) we'll just wait. We'll just wait for him to be done, and we'll see him afterwards, like... (laughs) That reminds me of, like, every rapper who was, like, at a show and the cops were like, well, we're looking for this motherfucker. So, good thing that he's, like, we know where he's at. But they usually don't let the show finish first. Like, <laughs> I, I Very mean, true. Yeah. So, uh, for everybody who's not familiar, Ivan Kamara is accused of assaulting a man in a Las Vegas, like, casino nightclub area situation in which... He has been charged with battery resulting in substantial bodily harm, although he's already posted bail and won't even actually start an initial court hearing until March 8th. Now, look, it's interesting because the police say they have surveillance footage of the incident already and have used it to say Alvin Kamara's initial story they told the police was not true, unsurprisingly. And... At this point, I'm just like, TMZ gets a hold of everything. How have they not gotten a hold of the Alvin Kamara reportedly punching a man eight times? 
before his whole crew stops that dude like a boondocks episode. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, like they said that it was like there was an elevator. Dude tried to get on the elevator. Kamir apparently, uh, they say he put, puts his hand on the dude's chest and says, "No, you can't get on the elevator." Kamir says that the dude uh, called one of his friends ugly and said that he could whip his ass. And uh, at that point, he Kamir says that a fight broke out near him. Near him, the fight broke out, and that he saw the dude running and try to hit him. The police say the surveillance footage instead shows that Kamara <laughs> steals off on this dude, hits him a couple times, and then his boys start hitting him. And then once he is on the floor, his boys start stomping on him. One of them, uh, they have said, stomped on him at least 16 times, like by himself, not 16 total stomps. One of the individuals, <laughs> and they're also so like this is pretty. This is pretty heavy, right? I don't know if you see the picture of the dude's face. I haven't seen it. Oh my god, the picture of this guy's face is super fucked up. Do you think this impacts him being able to play at the beginning of next season? I do, just because. When they revamped the player conduct rules a couple of years ago, or not a couple of years ago, I think it's like eight at this point, um, <clears throat> they kind of made it the standard that anything uh, that's like graded sort of a battery level offense, or if you catch like a charge for battery, that like kind of the baseline is six games. And it, it, I was listening to Max Kellerman talk about this, and he was saying it can go up or go down based off of the context and everything. But we've seen in the past that like battery charges have been specifically been approached with a baseline of like six games and it can go up or down from there. So I, I do think he will miss some time to start the season. And going back to the start, I think it happening over Pro Bowl weekend in Vegas where it's kind of like an NFL event it may make them come down harder because it's like you're there representing us. And I do think that basically like whatever kind of legal stuff he's facing should kind of stay between him and the legal system. And like, unless it impacts his ability to like do his job or like go to work, then having that, the way the policy impacts kind of playing time and everything like that, I think is too universal. We can get into that in an instance, but I don't think every battery charge is the same. And I think kind of like the vagueness of the, the standard right now, as far as the player conduct policy goes, means that the league treats these things kind of too universally. Whereas like fighting someone in a, a hotel elevator is like not good. It is wrong, but it is different than like committing an act of domestic violence, for example. And I feel like Kamara's yeah. like facing, they're, they're talking about him missing half the season essentially when there are people in the league who have done, I don't know, like it's hard to compare these things, but like it generally accepted like far worse things. Uh, that have faced less time. So it's kind of weird. Like, I don't know. Okay, so I will first share this with you. This is the picture of the guy's face after Oof. they fucked him. <laughs> Does that change any, any of your feelings? <laughs> yeah, that's bad. That's bad. <laughs> oh, my God. That's hilarious. I'm sorry. Like, when I saw the photo, I was like, shit. But, like, to be fair, that looks like the face of a guy that got stomped on 16 times, if we could just be perfectly honest, <laughs> by one guy, not like there were other guys involved. So, like, this is pretty big, right? Alvin Kamara is probably, at this point, the face of the New Orleans Saints franchise after Drew Brees and Sean Payton right off into the sunset. And they are already looking at a pretty disparate situation starting next year. And Alvin Kamara is possibly not going to be able to be with them. It is important to note that the charge he has is a felony. 
Well, the charge they are charging him with is a felony and the prison time to it is one to five years. Granted, I bet this is probably a situation where money and good lawyers pan out very well for you and you deal with some probationary style stuff and you probably pay this man a super bag. But like, what's the point of rocking around with three dudes who are willing to stop a dude 16 times or more and you still have to personally put your hands on somebody? Yeah, that's a, like the whole thing. I think if there weren't, the alleged surveillance footage would be that like one of who one of the people that was with him would like take the charge because he's obviously like kind of the breadwinner of the group. I'm guessing. Um, But if there's footage, like it's an elevator. So there's probably some sort of security tape and it shows him like stomping this dude out. Then that will not make a lot of sense. It doesn't show from from what I've read from the police reports and articles so far is that Kamara hits the dude first, punches him like eight times. He falls on the floor and Kamara's three friends then proceed to stop him while he's on the floor. So how did his face look before he hit the floor? I guess (laughs) is then like how you judge, you know, Kamara's responsibility in all of this, because like, you were right that that does look like someone who was stomped out. And if I don't know, man, obviously I'm biased in this. I hope AK didn't have as much to do with it as it seems right now. And that the, the surveillance footage that I hope the reason it's not leaked is because it's like in his favor. There are just too many cameras in the world these days for like something like that to, just go down with with no repercussions. I'm surprised no one had cell phone footage at least. Exactly. Like, huh. I mean, I don't know, but like, I'm just shocked by that. That in and of itself. Like, if you see Alvin Kamara, maybe let's say softly participating in the jumping of somebody. <laughs> I feel like that's when someone pulls out their phone and goes, "Yo, that's Alvin Kamara." <laughs> Exactly. And I guess that is like the best case scenario I'm hoping for that that Kamara was involved in a soft jumping and that after he left, it got worse. Uh, All right. That was your tee up. Oh, spread that tea, sis. Spread that tea, sis. We will go right into the Super Bowl because the Super Bowl is on everybody's mind right now. It's hot and. Honestly, I think this is not the Super Bowl people expected, not the names people wanted at the beginning of this season, but I think this is primed to be like one of the better Super Bowl matchups that we've seen in a couple of years. Because the last two were kind of booty, unfortunately. Like, all right, so we'll start off with the spread for this game. The Bengals are playing the Rams, and the Rams somehow for the second time in NFL history but also in back-to-back years, have home field advantage during the Super Bowl. And they are favored four and a half points right now on Fox Bet. I am going to say, first and foremost, I would take the Bengals plus four and a half in this game. I wouldn't be shocked if the Rams won the game. In fact, if I had to pick a money line bet, I'd put it on the Rams at home in this moment. But I know that I'm super confident in Bengals plus four and a half for this going into this game. Looking at that spread, how do you feel about it? So I've bet Bengals money line in every playoff game so far. And in every playoff game, it has worked out. So I love Bengals plus 4.5. I also love Bengals money line. And I think what, like we are paying a lot of attention to the sort of home field aspect. But I think it also is important to remember like, it's the Super Bowl. No one has home field advantage. It's people who can afford to pay $60,000 for a ticket. It's not the loudest Rams fans in the world. They're, they're going to be packing the stadium. I'm sure there will be more Rams fans than Bengals fans, but honestly, it's just going to be more rich people than than anything. LA money probably means the people that could pay for that are like LA people who are probably yeah, yeah. there for the Rams anyway. I will say... 
this. The reason why I am a little skeptical for the Bengals is the reason why everybody has been skeptical for the Bengals at any point in time this season. The offensive line, right? Like, Los Angeles is one of three teams that had 50 or more sacks in the season. Bengals are one of three teams in the league that gave up over 55 sacks in this season. So I just feel like that's a pass rush that is – it's weird because usually when we say pass rush, we're like, okay, it'll speed up the quarterback. Okay, it'll, you know, get him off his game. But I can't say that after the Tennessee game where they gave up nine sacks and Joe Burr was poised the entire time. What I can say is that puts you in a lot of bad field position areas that can lead to turnovers, things that the Rams can kind of – take advantage of and I feel like that turnover battle is going to be where the game is won and or lost depending on which side it is I will say this have you noticed that since that game the Bengals offensive line has been pretty good yeah I would like especially in the second half of the Chiefs game like yes they still gave up sacks but they have looked way better as the playoffs have gone on I'm interested. They only gave up like two in that game too, which is pretty or less than two or less in that game because that Titans game is the only time they gave up more than two. I'm a little interested in, of course, seeing the Jalen Ramsey versus Jamar Chase matchup. It's been a little hyped up. You know, Jalen Ramsey always says he wants to follow. And I say this, and I do not say this lightly. I have a inkling feeling that Jamar Chase is going to burn Jalen Ramsey. I think so, too. <laughs> Do you think this game is, like, explosive? Like, I think the over-under is, like, 48. Are you taking it? 48-5? I, I think it's going to be over. I see it. I see both teams getting, like, Three to four field goals. Like I think McPherson is gonna keep doing what he's been doing the whole playoffs, and I also see him scoring like two to three touchdowns apiece. Honestly, like I think it's gonna be somewhere like in the 27-23, like close high twenty scoring, maybe low thirty scoring game. Like I think Cooper Cup is gonna expose Eli Apple. I think that Jamar Chase is gonna expose Jalen Ramsey. And, yeah, I, th- I think it will be a pretty, like, I think there will be phases of it being like a shootout and then phases where it's really slow and both teams are kind of settling for field goals for multiple drives in a row. Uh, all right, let's keep it moving and get right into the NBA trade deadline because, look, last year's trade line was trade deadline was kind of booty. Like, let's be honest, it was a lot of hype. And a lot of nothing. This year, I feel like even if nothing else happened, it'd be a little underwhelming because of some of the big things that we've been sold, like James Harden, Ben Simmons, like that style of stuff. But it's been pretty hot. It's been pretty hot. Like, I'll start in like the chronological order of things that we've seen so far. And I actually first want to talk about the Blazers and Pelicans, but only because they move some of those assets around afterwards the next day, right? Yeah. So, like, initial trade with the Blazers and Pelicans, like, Pelicans, they get C.J. McCollum, Tony Snell, and Larry Nance Jr. from the Blazers. And the Blazers get Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Didi Luzada, a 2022 protected first-round pick which is important because the protections on this pick are super convoluted. Yeah, it they're not getting this pick. It's possible. It's like one through four conveys back to the Pelicans. Five through 15 com- conveys to the Blazers, which if the Pelicans make the play-in, they're probably right outside of that 15 or right around that 15. Yeah. Right. And then anything 15 on, I think, goes to like Charlotte. It is Charlotte. And then two future second round picks for the Devonta Graham deal. Somewhere. Initial thoughts on this trade for you. I like it for the Pelicans a lot. 
I think like the one kind of downside, if there is one, is like that CJ does make thirty million dollars a year and is getting a little bit up there in age. How old is he exactly? Uh, he's a little bit like. I feel like he's like thirty-one or something. That sounds close. He is thirty. Thirty. Okay. So yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the only downside is you're adding. $30 million. So that's obviously like you're committed to that. But really, I think that it makes things exciting for this year. They can compete for the play in regardless of whether or not Zion comes back. Brandon Ingram, Jonas Valanciunas, and their, their younger players have been, especially since their rough start, been playing really well. Um, Jackson Hayes is looking really good. So I feel like CJ, Valanciunas, and Brandon Ingram in the interim this year can make a, a push for the play-in. And then next year and, and the next coming years, if Zion is able to come back fully healthy and everything like that, I feel like that's a really good core. Like, is it a championship contending team? No. But it brings, like, a really competitive team to New Orleans. Of You have your four best players are Zion, Brandon Ingram, Jonas Valanciunas, and C.J. McCollum. I feel like that is a solid playoff roster if they're all healthy um i feel like here's the my question big step. You, yeah this is a lot of the talk prior to this was zion's upcoming contract extension will he want to stay in new orleans is cj mccullum off of the jonas valentunas deal before that enough that you think zion's like okay new orleans is the place where i can build i think the general positive direction of the team before the trade combined with the trade and the fact that he would be giving up like all max super max considerations, like taking the qualifying offer means that you are taking off the table, a bunch of incentives that go along with sort of extending because the NBA wants to incentivize players to stay with the team that drafted them for as long as possible. So it's financially in his best interest to do so. And now I feel like the, the direction of the, of the team under a new coach and the moves that David Griffin has been making uh, since this past offseason, even though I feel like he's rightly been criticized in the past, you can't really dispute that like going out and getting Valanciunas for Steven Adams is like a great move. Um, letting Lonzo leave is like kind of the one thing that I think could kind of stick in the back of Zion's mind maybe. But I feel like this is potentially enough to make up for that. Okay. Uh, okay. I'm with it. On the Blazers side of this, I was shook when I seen this. Like, like maybe the Blazers get an extra first-round pick this upcoming season out of it. It's not unlikely, especially if the Blazers are in that, like, playing or just, just out area. I mean, I see this and I was like, ugh. You all are... I, it looked like they were tanking to me when I saw this. Like, I gave them a D. Yeah, I, I'm i right there with you. I, I gave I gave the Pelicans actually an A here. Like, I, I really like C.J. McCollum. I think that, like, C.J. could actually be a really good point guard in this league. People think of him as a shooting guard, but he's really been a combo guard the entire time he's been in the league, and so has Dame. But the only difference was Dame was next to him. So yeah. he had to be the second option because Dame Willard is that good. Like, now he can run the offense, put the ball in his hands. Like, that's a guy that you would like to control your pace. That's the veteran that you can have. Get the young guys where they need to be. Like, I actually really, really like this for CJ, and I feel like this gives CJ the opportunity to blossom, especially with, like, a really good scoring wing like Brandon Ingram, which he has never gotten to, like, play with. Yeah, and I think that Brandon Ingram kind of solves the exact fit problems you're talking about with the Dame-CJ backcourt. It's like you want Brandon Ingram to be having the ball and, and isolating for parts of the time, and he's really been kind of like a good fill-in facilitator and playmaker this year. But having C.J. McCollum take some of that duty off of him or take some of that pressure off of him and Brandon Ingram can just go back to being a pure scorer, which is exactly like you don't want Brandon Ingram to have to be a part-time playmaker if you if he doesn't have to be. His best thing is scoring. 
allowing CJ to take some of that responsibility and develop and sort of go into his own combo guard, point guard, shooting guard kind of evolution, I think I agree will be really good in New Orleans. All right. So the then the Blazers get a little creative with the Nikhil Alexander uh pick that uh well player that they got and one of their second round picks and they flip it with a three-team trade with the utah jazz and the san antonio spurs the jazz now getting to kill alexander walker and juan cho hernan gomez which i i thought was interesting they were trying to reload after losing joe ingles and sliding really hard the blazers get joe ingles Elijah Hughes and a future second. The Spurs get Thomas Sadaransky with a future second as well. Okay. So at first I said, I like this for the Blazers. And you were like, Joe Ingles is on an expiring contract. And then I went, oh, I don't know if I like this for the Blazers. Like, I'm not too familiar with Elijah Hughes. I'm not sure if you are. Yeah, no, I, I, I know nothing. Right. So I'm just like. If somehow the Blazers convinced Joe Ingles to stay and netted a second-round pick off of Nikhil Alexander-Walker, I think that's just great value back. I don't think, like, I don't really understand Joe Ingles currently as a player that wants to, like, A, ring chase, or B, be in a large market. Like, just listening to his interviews, he doesn't really come off like that to me. Like, he was playing in, he was happily playing in Utah before, and Maybe the only more ass place to play in the NBA besides Portland is Utah. Like, so he was happy in Utah. Like, I assume coming off the ACL, if Portland wants to take a chance on him, give him a little bit of a bag when his future is not secure, that might end up being a really good look for them. And I do think Ingles would fit well with Dame. Yeah, I agree with that. I have no... I'm just so confused what the direction is because everyone seems to be saying that like the direction is that like now they have 60 million in cap or whatever, but and a 20 mil trade exception, the trade exception is actually something to me like, like that's real and something that I think could actually be used to get something valuable. I don't think that Portland is going to be able to use any of this cap space to lure a star who is better than CJ to play with Dane. And that's ultimately like what the point of this, like they're not, they're supposedly not tanking. They're not flipping Dame. They're not flipping the entire team. They're trying to reload and rebuild around Dame on the fly. That was the right thing to do two or three years ago. Um, but, But they've run it back so many times. I feel like they made this decision way too late. And when they strike out in free agency this summer and don't get James Harden, Zach Levine, the other free the other big free agents on the market, they're going to end up with a bunch of like pretty good role players that they're overpaying, and then Dame is going to ask to leave. Like I think, I think they're oh. just delaying the inevitable, and it's just weird that this summer they were talking about maybe getting Ben Simmons for CJ. And they just got Josh Hart for CJ. Like, uh, I mean, okay. So to be fair, I feel like if Ben Simmons for CJ was ever on the table, they would have taken it. A hundred percent. Was like, just like no. Agreed. And but even for it to have been floated out there, it's like, damn. Like, maybe you couldn't have gotten Ben for CJ, but you definitely could have gotten him for Dame. And like, if all of this is going to be towards the inevitable destruction of the team trading of dame and in a rebuild then like why not start it with an all-star who's under 25 i don't know it just seems like they're like kicking the can down the road and it's going to inevitably hurt the team and the fans in the long run because they just like won't accept that this thing peaked a long time ago yeah i mean It really does feel like the Blazers are in now a no man's land of the NBA in which you have a star good enough that you can compete and be like a playoff team, a perennial playoff team, which they usually are, and then get bounced pretty early. And that was like the the Bulls were in that little bit of a purgatory with Jimmy Butler at at the end of his stint with Chicago. Right. It, It Like, what do you do? 
in that situation. Like, I think you're right about the whole that like getting a free agent to come to Portland is going to be very hard. The like, there are a few star free agents on the table, man. Like, John Wall has a player option, which we know he will take. Like, James Harden has a player option. Russ has a player option that I'm pretty sure he'll take. He's taking that because he's never <laughs> getting offered forty million again. Uh, <laughs> I mean, like Bradley Beal has a player option, and that's a little scary for Washington. But like, doesn't Beal Dame just recreate the CJ Dame like duplication in skills just with like a better second player? Yeah, but it it might be enough of a jump in terms of like the margin between Beal and CJ that a lot of the like positional overlap matters less. I don't know. I think you would still run into like the question of who should have the ball in their hand more when they're both in the game at the same time. Uh, But I at least like Beal off the ball a little bit more than CJ. So I don't know. Like if they could get Bradley Beal, and like sign him to like a significant deal where he's like committed for multiple years to playing with Dame. I won't end up thinking that these are like the worst set of moves that happened. I'm fully like open to the possibility of like looking back in a year and being wrong. If they have James Harden and like Julius Randall on the team through a trade exception or something. Um, and Julius Randall ends up like coming like redeeming himself and being good for Portland. I kind of think like that is probably in the works because Julius Randle makes $21 million a year. And if they have a $20 million trade exception, he's like, I don't know. He's like trying to fight the Knicks coaches on the sideline and everything right now. That seems like a player that could be on the move that Dame would maybe like to play with. But I, I also could see just what, why wouldn't Dame just go play on the Knicks? In the I, Cause he wants to build it in Toronto. I mean, that's what he's been saying. He's not going to run from the grind. I feel like he's just, like, too afraid to leave now because he thinks that people, like, call him a hypocrite for saying all of that. But, like, at some point, like, no one is going to be mad at you for requesting a trade after what we watched their front office just do. And also, one big thing that I don't think is getting enough attention is the, the person making all of these trades is an interim GM. GM, yeah. Is this person going to be there next year? Uh, look, that is an interesting thing for me. To because, like, if their vision is, like, what's setting up the team and they, like, go get a new GM, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> he has to, like, now clean up whatever this log jam is. I mean, okay, so on this three-team trade, I actually like this for all parties involved. Like, the Spurs really didn't lose much. Netted the future second. Thomas Sadoransky just seems like salary fillers. He's being tossed around the league. Like, the Jazz are trying to reload to make this year not lost after losing Joe Ingles. Uh, Like, I, I don't mind it at all. We'll move on to the Pacers get Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald, and Tristan Thompson from the Sacramento Kings. And the Kings received DeMontis Sabonis, Jeremy Lamb, Justin Holiday, and a 2027 second round pick. Okay. I initially thought this was a decent trade or a relatively good trade for the Kings. 98% of people I have seen talk about this or even talk to about this grossly feel in the other direction. I think you being one of them. So, I mean, explain to me why people and you believe that the Kings got absolutely fleeced. So, I think the biggest just, like, top-level reason requires, like, just, like, making a prediction. Like, this is something we can't know, but I feel like is true. I think Halliburton is going to be better than Fox. And what I will say is going back to the the Portland combo of them taking too long to make the decision about splitting up the backcourt between Dame and CJ. Um, I do applaud the Kings for making this decision early because it, it seemed clear that Fox and Halliburton were not meshing together. 
they're they've been going on a huge skid and it just seemed like uh the like guard play was not just meshing well in sacramento so i think they did right to go ahead and just make a decision about who their guy was i just think they made the wrong one i think tyrese halliburton is going to be a better player than De'Aaron Fox, and the the main reasons I prefer him is I think he's better in the pick and roll. Um, he's like pretty much all of the Kings' pick and roll offense. De'Aaron Fox doesn't do as much uh, pick and roll. The Rashawn Holmes pick and roll stuff is pretty much exclusively done with Halliburton, and he can play uh, on and off the ball just as effectively. Um, and even though his shot looks weird, he is super efficient from everywhere, so I just think Halliburton has a higher upside, and I, I actually like kind of I really like what the Pacers did with this in that they decided they didn't have to blow their whole team up. They just needed to clear their log jam in their front court with Miles Turner and Sabonis. And now it seems like they, they've like committed to Miles Turner and he's going to expand his game beyond just being a stretch five. But one thing I will say sort of in the Kings' favor is they got the best player in this trade right now, like without a doubt. Sabonis is by far the best two-time player. Two-time All-Star. Yep, two-time All-Star and and in the conversation this year, probably going to continue to be in the conversation. So I think that I hate the trade a little bit less than I did initially. I ultimately think from like a future team-building perspective – Tyrese is the best piece, but I do think that Kings fans have been starved and just like want to make the playoffs and see their team be competitive. So getting a really good all-star level player that pairs well with Darren Fox and Darren Fox scored 25 a game last year. If he gets back to that level, he could very well end up proving me wrong and being the better player. Um, so I think they like have put themselves in a good position to try to make the play in or to be a low playoff seed this year and next year, but I don't know what it gets them beyond that. So I think that's why I like it more for the Pacers. Okay. So I've come around to a lot of the Pacers points, particularly the fact that Tyrese Halliburton is like a really efficient three point shooter. Like he shoots high volume, high percentage, and De'Aaron Fox, on the other hand, shoots low percentage, and so does DeMontis Sabonis. And that makes the Kings team kind of clunky. Now, the Kings are also saying this isn't their only move. And I think a team where you try to surround Sabonis and De'Aaron Fox with shooters could actually work. I mean, it could actually work. I don't know what it'll look like. I don't know if it'll actually work, but it could work. I do think the Pacers are just like, they said it from the beginning, that we want to move Karis Lovert. Sabonis or Miles Turner. And I feel like once Miles Turner broke his foot, it kind of like sapped up the not really value, but people's willingness to put put it forward in the middle of the season. So like then it became Sabonis out the way instead. And now like they've cleared the pieces they say they want to clear. Like, do the Pacers really have any other contracts like that? So TJ Malcolm Brogdon is the only one, right? Yeah, I think TJ Warren is on like a pretty like relatively team friendly deal. And He's what I really coming up this season. Upcoming, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I really like it for them because like Miles Turner is out. Tyrese is gonna come there and get acclimated to the team. But this year they'll probably end up getting a pretty high pick. And then like you have like a top eight, top nine pick or something like that to pair with Tyrese, Duarte, uh, Miles Turner, and then whatever draft pick that you pick early in the lottery, I feel like that's a really good kind of young core moving forward. Okay, so giving out grades for this, I initially had like Sacramento or like a good B uh, and then I had Indiana at like a good B as well, but maybe I gave Sacramento a B plus. I it feels like people are flipping that and making this an A grade for Indiana. I, I mean, think it's an A for an for Indiana, A A minus. Like, did they get one of the best like young players in the league? Well, yeah, depending on how you think about that. Like, if you look up any like 
top 25 players under 25 lists. Like Tyrese or like 24 under 24 or whatever. Tyrese will probably be on a lot of those lists. Is he like John Morant? No. So that I guess that's what I would like reserve an A plus for. So, but I would give it like an A A minus because I think it's just like a really really good young dynamic guard to build around for the future who has already shown a lot of flashes of success. Uh, like top three rookie of the year last year, putting up the same slash better production this year. So I think he's just shown a lot of potential early. All right. So the. Other move the uh, the Pacers made was they got off Karis Levert, uh, which I mean I guess that that's fine. They moved Karis Levert to the Cavs, who are again another team trying to reload for a playoff push. Well, they're they are in the playoffs, well in the playoffs, and they are doing particularly well this season. Like obviously, this is all because of the Ricky Rubio injury. They got Rondo, a little bit of veteran support now, getting Levert Pacers got in return for Levert a future first-round pick and two future second-round picks. Boy, boy, Indiana A-plus this this shit. Like, this one was, like, you got you got a first and two seconds for Karis Levert. You got better draft capital than the Blazers got for CJ for a worse player. like, But also a significantly cheaper player. Facts. Yeah. It's the worst player, but also significantly cheaper and like younger too. I, I like. I think the Cavs get like a little B minus here. You, the Cavs are clearly playing to be competitive now and rebuild a winning culture and inserting a guy like Karis LeVert, where you know they were already down one guard coming into the season. Uh, Sexton, really hyper dude, yeah, uh, Colin Sexton, right? So like they're already down guard coming into the year, then they lose another. So like. I like it. Rebuilding for the Cavs. The Cavs want to stay competitive and like change that culture without LeBron. And that that's cool. I'm I'm excited for them. The Cavs are really good and Evan Moby is ridiculous. So the other Blazers trade, which is the last one that we got here, is that Blazers get Eric Bledsoe, Keon Johnson, Justin Winslow, and a future second round pick. The Clippers get Norman Power and Robert Covington. What this is going on? This one is what indefensible. Is on, I gave Portland a hot D for this one. Like I feel like they should have been able to get more for Norman Powell. I agree, and I honestly have to just give it a straight up F with the context that they traded Gary Trent for Norman Powell. Gary Trent, younger, cheaper deal. Than Norman Powell, arguably mm-hmm. better if you look just like how he's playing in Toronto right now. Um, and you, oh, and you guards essentially... though, dude, that's their problem. Trent two, CJ is a combo, Dame is a combo, Anthony is a two. Like they're, they're, I mean, good on your scouting department being able to find good guards. Like that's great. What about the rest of the team? That problem is still existing now like they just got like four more guards (laughs) even though they got rid of 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 cj they end up bringing in keon johnson eric bledsoe yeah thomas sadaransky and Nikhil alexander walker aren't there anymore but they were for a second two more guards on, on the blazers depth chart so i don't know i just love gary trent so much and just knowing that like they traded him to get Norm, to extend Norm, to trade for a second-round pick, Keon Johnson, Eric Bledsoe, and Justice Winslow. I just – I hate that. Yeah, I just don't know how you look at this team and are like, this makes sense. Like, I feel like they flipped Larry Nance in the part of that deal for a second, but I'm pretty sure they gave up a first to get Larry. Yes, they either gave up a first – and Derek Jones Jr. or a second in Derek Jones Jr. to get Larry Nance. And Derek Jones Jr. is also good. So, yeah. like, maybe he could have helped out this team and you could have kept your original pick. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Portland seems like they're in shambles. Uh, all right. So far, that's the trade deadline. Things will be kind of cooking up. We are recording on Wednesday. Uh, and the trade deadline is tomorrow on Thursday. Y'all will catch this on Friday, though. 
Dallas Tony, Playboy. All right, all right. Let's get into the head coaching slate for 2022. All right, all the teams have filled all of their openings. We know who will be leading the helms of these nine franchises that switched head coaches this season. We're going to react to all of them and kind of give you the best and the worst of it all. So I want to start with, I think, one of the most neutral hirings possible for a franchise and that is the jaguars hiring former philadelphia eagles head coach doug peterson this one felt like doug peterson felt like the guy that if you took a chance on him it couldn't really feel like a miss like no one could be like oh how why would you do something like that i want to say he won the super bowl three super bowls ago or is it four now? Well, I think this would probably make it four. But, you know, he beat Brady in the Super Bowl with Nick Foles. And, and that's in, like, the relative recent zeitgeist. And while things kind of turned south in Philly his last year, it was rough with a lot of quarterback controversy with Carson Wentz and just, like, him not seeing eye-to-eye with ownership because he was not able to make a lot of his own personal choices. So when he got fired from there, people were a little bit surprised considering he had just won a Super Bowl. But that's what kind of gives you a lot of cachet and cover when this is the choice that you make. Offensive-minded guy, you need to develop Trevor Lawrence. This guy led an offense that had Carson Wentz at one point in time playing MVP-level ball and also – then led, won the Super Bowl with Nick Foles as the quarterback. So I don't mind this. It didn't feel like big to me. It didn't feel like game changing to me. It felt like, okay, you're not going to have to fire this guy in two years. I completely agree. I think it's a safe hire. Um, But considering just like all the stuff that they've gone through uh, in the last year with, the last coaching hire, I just I think it's kind of predictable that they would go with something more safe. And I think your point about him, his track record with quarterbacks and just like the ultimate goal being to develop Trevor Lawrence makes a ton of sense. He's also from my hometown, so uh, okay, good, go him. Uh, so, yeah, I like it. All right. Look, speaking of we've dra- we, we've picked you, we've hired you to fix this quarterback or develop this quarterback. And some might even say fix in this term. Brian Dable gets the Giants job. Bill's offensive coordinator was one of the hottest commodities on the NFL coaching market for like the last two years. And look, I feel like the Giants, like let's not even get into all the Brian Flores stuff, et cetera. I feel like the Giants drafted him to say, fix the mistake that was the Daniel Jones pick. Like, turn Daniel Jones into a good quarterback in the NFL like you turned Josh Allen into one. The only problem is I don't think Daniel Jones has nearly the talent, just like raw talent, of a <laughs> of a Josh Allen. So, I mean, you look at this higher and – do you think good things are on the horizon for the Giants? I don't think it's enough. Um, I get the logic behind it. Like Buffalo has had a ton of success. Their offense, Josh Allen, been amazing the last couple of years. But I agree um, that there might just be like too much of a talent difference to expect anything close to that from Daniel Jones. And it might not just be – a co- like a coaching decision away from from being fixed and like the the end of the Giants season specifically like the last few weeks of the Giants season were rough so I think getting a new culture getting a new some new faces in there in the organization is something that was necessary uh, but I don't know how soon we'll see results Now, one that I think is actually really interesting is the Mike McDaniels hire for the Miami Dolphins. Like, have you seen Mike McDaniels? I have not. Mike McDaniels looks like your sixth grade math teacher. (laughs) I, I am so serious. Mike McDaniels looks like your sixth grade math teacher. 
he was like relatively unknown until like at some point um people started playing some of his, his interviews in the playoffs and like his he's actually like a really good interviewer like he comedic answers questions well has a lot of charisma for a guy that looks like a sixth grade math teacher like i i this is all like oh is this guy and i will let you all see this guy for reference for people who have not seen this dude before this is what mike mcdaniels looks like that is the that is that is the next football coach of the miami dolphins now came off the shanahan tree and a lot of guys have come off the Shanahan tree. So we're like, okay, you know, Kyle Shanahan doing big things right now. Sean McVay doing big things right now. Matt LaFleur doing big things right now. Like, he seems to be up next from those guys who were, like, lucked together all the way from Washington on until they started getting these head coaching jobs. I'm just interested to see what he does with Tua because that's, like, the big thing, like, for all of Brian Flores' pros in Miami, which there are a lot of, a major con was he was never able to really get that offense all the way together. And it didn't seem like he could find the coordinators to make it really work for Tua. That is a little difficult. Mike McDaniels is supposed to be some type of offensive genius like the last set of guys that came out of, came out from under him. I... I this is the type of situation I could see where if things go poorly early on, it is hard for him to recover with the team and the media. I agree with that. I think just the team's general kind of non seemingly non-commitment to Tua just kind of like makes for a weird situation going into to a new coaching position. And everything looming with, like, the Deshaun rumors and everything like that. Like, just watching how that all plays out, I think, is definitely going to affect not only just, like, the early part of his coaching tenure there, but just, like, maybe how it goes moving forward. All right. Vikings went with Kevin O'Connell, the offensive coordinator for the Rams. Dude, I, I didn't feel anything about this this higher like it was weird that they were like kind of stringing Jim Harbaugh along and then we're, they were like nah we're good man we're gonna hire Kevin O'Connell and I guess like he's supposed to be an offensive mind for a team that seems to have all of his best players on offense you got Dalvin Cook you got Justin Jefferson you got Adam Thielen and then Kirk Cousins but like can someone get more out of Kirk Cousins than I guess Stefanski and then the guy after him, which neither of them seem like to be like pro prolific pass coordinating style guys. They seem to be run centric guys like Kevin Stefanski went from running the ball a million times with Dalvin Cook to running the ball a million times with Nick Chubb and um, oh, former Chiefs player. Kareem Hunt. Hunt. Yes, Hunt. Maybe this is big for the Vikings. Maybe this overhauls the Vikings offense in a way that makes it look really good. I think the Vikings fans have something to be relatively excited about. Like this could this could work out for the Vikings. Raiders hired Josh McDaniels. How did you feel about the Josh McDaniels hire? Man, I just there's so much going on with with the Raiders. I just don't like it's a good step. It's a it's a good step in the right direction. They have a lot to be happy with how their season went despite all of the like terrible things that were going on. So, I think I would be optimistic as a Raiders fan moving forward and the, the more distance you can get between your and time you can get between yourself and Gruden and the Henry Rugg stuff, I think just like moving on and potentially going into next year and adding like one more piece to that offense, I feel like combining that with a new coach could mean that the, the Raiders could take a next step. Okay. I am highly skeptical. Like Josh McDaniels didn't work out very well with the Broncos. Then he went back to New England, you know, 
he's been very successful in New England, but anybody that was in New England over the last two decades has been very successful. Almost had the coach job pulled out to stay in New England. Now takes this Raiders job, and I just of this feels like another one of the guys that get hired because he's part of the Bill Belichick line or tree. And then we watch things not develop or go the way that we wanted them to or expected them to because he was part of the Bill Belichick line or tree. You do need to develop a culture in that Las Vegas locker room. They definitely need to tighten up because like all the random shit that popped off this year, like outside of Gruden, just like rugs are net. Uh, there was like one other player that like fell asleep in his car drunk in a parking on like a parking garage. Like, can Josh McDaniels create that culture without losing the locker room? That seems like a problem for a lot of Bill Belichick disciples. Yeah. And especially in Vegas, all of that feels compounded because the NFL really wanted a team in Vegas. They wanted to be all around gambling and everything and you know i don't know if they really thought through like everything that comes with that because like we started the show talking about you know alvin Kamara is not a member of the raiders but it's another incident in las vegas Vegas. keeps happening so i don't know yeah uh yeah okay you're not wrong that that's gonna be really interesting to see how that develops Broncos take Nathaniel Hackett, former offensive coordinator of the Green Bay Packers. Um, never called plays for the Packers. He was the offensive coordinator for the Jaguars, I think, and called plays, and they were terrible. And was the offensive coordinator for the Bills uh, in the year where they went 6-10. and 10. So, like... Absent the time he had in Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers, one of the most phenomenal quarterback talents of this generation that's coming to an end, actually. I'm kind of shocked by this hire. Like, unless the Broncos get Aaron Rodgers. That's, I I was about to say, it seems like that's what the play is. Okay, if the Broncos don't get Aaron Rodgers, how do you think this goes? They call him up and are like, sorry, dude, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> like, he gets fired after the year because they couldn't get Rodgers. They're like, well. maybe even before the year. Honestly. They put in an interim guy. And they're well, like, never well. mind. Sorry, dude. Yikes. Yikes. We all I wanted mean, him. I wish him all the luck because I really like this Broncos roster. They really do feel like a quarterback away from not just being good, but being like Super Bowl good, like fantastic defense consistently. Although I think I wouldn't be shocked to see that defense kind of taper off this year with the departure of Vic Fangio, who was a defensive minded coach and was really great at that side of the ball. So, I mean, look, A lot of guys with a lot more experience and better resumes were passed over for Nathaniel Hackett, and I think he's going to have a lot to prove. Speaking of that, we have my Chicago Bears, who hired Matt Eberflus. And, okay, y'all, I'm going to just be real honest with you. Before we hired a coach, I said two things. I don't want to hire somebody that's a first-time head coach because I feel feel like we really need stability and a strong arm in this locker room to shape a bunch of young guys on the offensive side of the ball. And two, I don't want a defensive-minded guy because 100% of our future is in the hands of Justin Fields developing to be a franchise quarterback. We then proceeded to hire a defensive-minded first-time head coach to my dismay. And then I was like, oh, you know, we'll just wait and we'll see his staff and the offensive coordinator. And then I saw the offensive coordinator and the rest of the staff. And I was like, "Uh, okay, I'm not really excited about this. Like, I wish the best because, you know, I just want my team to be good. But this feels and I hate to tear down somebody that just got this job with the GM position in Ryan Poles. But this feels like I was planning to scratch your back 
years before I got this job. And when I got it, instead of maybe, I don't want to say not doing your due diligence because I don't know how due of diligence he did, but it just feels like you might have skipped over some better guys for the job to pick up your boy. Yeah, that would be unfortunate. I've heard a lot of people kind of objecting to, well, we just drafted Justin Fields. It seems like getting an offensive mind or a quarterback-minded coach to kind of steer the direction in the ship towards that development would be important. And it's just hard for me to think that that's not the case. I know there are a lot of DCs who have gone on to be head coaches who are head coaches of teams with great offenses, and it oh, most of that it has to do with the staff they hire. So if as a Bears fan, you're also not looking forward to the the staff hirings and the offensive coordinator, I could see why you're not just like super hyped up about the coaching hire, but also just like holding out hope that that it is that it works out. Who was yeah. the the offensive coordinator they ended we up snagged this guy from Green Bay. Uh, I think he was the Green Bay quarterback coach. Like his name is Luke Getzey, and I just maybe he's the guy that can develop Justin Fields. But also, you got to remember, I don't know how long he's been the Packers uh, quarterback coach, but Aaron Rodgers' developmental years were like decade plus ago, man. Like, I don't think he was the guy that was developing Aaron Rodgers when Aaron Rodgers was in his Nathan stage like Justin Fields is. He taught him everything he knows. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I'm just not excited. But let's talk about your Saints, man. Dennis Allen, former your former defensive coordinator, gets the internal hire and promotion. This is the same Dennis Allen who won eight games in two plus seasons with the Raiders. Where are your overall feelings on this as a Saints fan? So, honestly, I was hoping for Eric Bieniemy. Just seems like the more exciting hire, you know. Um, but I think DA has earned it. I'm kind of more worried about I feel like just other things on the team other than the head coaching position right now as weird as that seems because it all starts top down with the coaching with the staff and everything but like I'm worried about who's going to be the quarterback I'm worried about which defensive players if any they're going to need to lose in order to face the cap situation which I do think is overblown uh, to a large extent, like they're able, they're able to convert a lot of that uh, through like weird, weird bonus type of stuff, like converting it from a signing bonus to something else. I can't remember the, the exact details, but I think the contract situation will sort it out itself out more. I'm more concerned with, who the quarterback is going to be and what the offense looks like going forward. Because I just think the defense is always going to be solid and that kind of building the team around that, continuing to build the team around that is a good idea and a good direction moving forward. But you need to fill out the rest of the team, especially at wide receiver and quarterback, for me to have a lot of faith for next year. Leaves us with the last hire, Texans. Hired Lovey Smith. Man, I love Lovey Smith, former Chicago Bears head coach, took us to a Super Bowl with Rex Grossman as our quarterback. Rex Grossman as our quarterback against Peyton Manning. Like, man, I just feel like Lovey Smith gets this job to be fired in one to two years. I do too. And he seems like a really nice guy from all of his interviews. So I can't help but just like feeling sad for him and happy at the same time that he got this job, but he's inheriting like a, like just a disaster. Like they still have their quarterback to Sean Watson situation. They feel like they've kind of stripped a lot of their talent from that team. And honestly, it seemed like they were trying to hire Josh McCown the whole time. 
and they were like, "Ooh, the way this, the way the climate feels right now, I don't think we can hire Josh McCown." But I'm just waiting to hear that Josh McCown is an assistant coach on this roster, or Josh McCown is the quarterbacks coach on this roster. Just to watch in like two years where they're like, oh, well, now he has some of the experience. The guy that we've been eyeing for two cycles already. Right. Like now he's in. Right. And I, I hate that Lovey Smith feels like a bridge coach in what is his third opportunity, which honestly shocking that not many people get third opportunities, period. He is the only African-American coach to ever get a third opportunity. So that in and of itself was kind of big, kind of shocking to me. Like, I, I'm i pro Lovey. I hope Lovey does amazing things with this Texas team. It's just going to be hard to do. Agreed. Yeah, all right. Th- those are all feels of the head coach's situation. Welcome to the final segment of the show, the heart of the show. Ball is bouquet. Too often in the media, people only want to focus on the negative and salacious things athletes do and never want to give them their credit where credit is due. Here, I like to make a change. And this week's Ballers Bouquet goes to A.J. Dillon of the Green Bay Packers. All right, like a lot of us, A.J. Dillon likes playing fantasy football. Right. And it's interesting because you're playing fantasy football against an NFL running back who should probably have a little bit of inside information, especially when it comes to some Packers players and, you know, just a better understanding of what's going on around the league. So unsurprisingly, A.J. Dillon wins his fantasy football league with a grand prize of thirty five thousand dollars. But unfortunately, because he plays in the NFL, he is not allowed to accept that money from winning his fantasy league. So basically, he pays in to get none of it. And what he decided to do with the money, instead of keeping it because he could not, is he decided to donate them to charities in Green Bay. He started off with the cancer team at Bellin Health Hospital. It is getting $25,000 from A.J. Dillon, and he is connected to this uh, institution because his future mother-in-law actually received treatment there for breast cancer. So he is giving back to something that's personally close to his heart, but also can help a lot of other people facing an issue that he seems connected to. The next thing he is doing is giving the other $10,000 of this grand prize to Willow Tree Cornerstone Child Advocacy Center. It's a community center that helps law enforcement, district attorneys, and child protective services conduct investigations of child abuse and neglect. So those are the two big things that he did with his fantasy football winnings. And I want to just give a shout out to that because it's not huge, but it makes a big difference to those people affected by by the amount that he gave simply by just beating a bunch of other dudes ass in fantasy football for the season. And that gives him this week's Ballers Bouquet. All right. I want to shout out everybody for rocking with us and listening to episode 70 there's only one more episode left in this season there is only one more episode left in this season and after that we'll be getting to with some more short form content but i want to say i appreciate all of our listeners whether it's on youtube spotify audia apple music wherever else that you listen i appreciate y'all and i cannot wait to give you all next week's episode the fly route the fly route the fly route the fly route the fly route